0: My name is Anthony, and this is my podcast, Theologizing Life, where we will talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. Well, hello, welcome to Theologizing Life with Anthony Cottrell and
1: Matt Tracy,
0: the one and only. <laughs> Actually, that? there's there's probably another Matt Tracy in the world.
1: I'm, pretty, I'm sure there's several.
0: But, yeah, a couple of years ago,
1: a couple of years ago, a guy messaged me on Facebook and his name was Matt Tracy. And the only reason he messaged me was to just be like, hey, we have the same name. I was like, yeah, dude, that's cool. And then he just never responded again. It was just this like such a random like he found me on Facebook, messaged me and then just like (laughs) left my life all over again. So it was it was weird. Anyway, we're already off track. How's it going?
0: It's going good. That would be socially awkward. I don't know how I would respond to that message.
1: Yeah, it, think, was a little, uh, it was strange. I was kind of thrown off by it, but you know.
0: Well, what is this it's podcast about? Theologizing life where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. And Matt, what are we going to talk about today?
1: We're going to talk about movies. movies. And, uh, we're going to talk about three movies specifically. And we're not going to, in case you haven't seen these particular movies, that's okay. We're going to use them as like a a jumping off point, I guess, for theological discussions. So we believe, you and I both believe that, you know, we can see truth in art and movies being a form of art. They communicate a worldview and sometimes that worldview aligns with the truth of God and sometimes it doesn't. So we're going to kind of, talk about some movies and in ways that they uh, align with the truth of scripture, ways that they might deviate from that redemptive truths that we can find and, and take from these movies and ways that these movies are kind of off in the worldview, I guess, uh, when we compare it to scripture. So all of those good things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the things sometimes Christians are really bad at is we feel like something has to be, um, Inherently Christian or have a Christian adjective to depict or communicate truth, but um, all truth is God's truth. And there are certainly things that are true that might not identify as Christian. And we can sort of redeem and reclaim that truth. And there's sometimes in movies and in narrative and stories and fiction and all this stuff, there are uh, redemptive themes that we can sort of appropriate to. Uh, our faith and worldview. And um, part of that, I think, is that the image of God, like each human reflects the image of God or bears the image of God, albeit a broken image uh, as a result of the fall. But um, still, every human is made in the image of God. And then the other thing is, you know, Ecclesiastes 3 says God has set eternity in the hearts of men. There's like these these aches that are pretty common to the human experience and longings and those are played out lived out in stories so um so yeah sometimes we
1: can get it right you know sometimes humans can get it right even if they don't try so even someone who doesn't believe in god can communicate truth in some way um once in a while you know
0: yeah absolutely uh Peek
1: peek behind the curtain this episode involved us watching three movies which when we both have jobs and kids it's a lot harder than we thought it was going to be so um i'm looking yes. forward to it but it was it's a lot it was a lot of work just watching three movies and we decided on these movies like what two weeks ago and yeah we were like, we were like pushing back our recording date like hey i haven't gotten to all my movies yet
0: <laughs> yeah i think the key issue like it's there hard
1: but it is (laughs) the key issue there is uh
0: the kids element because these movies aren't movie this wasn't a family movie night um some of them we watched uh at least not for the age of our kids right and so like it had to be after they were in bed which by that time i'm usually actually pretty tired not interested (laughs) in watching uh and engaging in a two and a half hour movie Exactly. Uh, um, Before we dive into the movies, though, uh, we've been sharing a little bit of odd, funny, weird news, uh, because in the midst of all the bad news, sometimes it's it's nice just to to lighten up a little bit. And um, so I have a a little news story I came upon that I'll share. And then, Matt, you also came upon one as well. Yeah. So mine, uh, (laughs) this is the title of the article. A drunken man who had been reported missing, spent hours with a search party looking for himself, report says. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: amazing. (laughs) I
0: I know. I, I saw this. I thought it was one of those satirical like article things, but it's no, this is for real. A Turkish man was reported missing after a night out drinking with his buddies and stuff. So his friends reported him missing. And there was a search party. And at some point he joined his own search party and they're combing the woods. And as people are shouting his name, eventually at some point he realizes that they're shouting his name. And he's like, I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> and uh, I didn't follow up with the story to see if like he, he got fined or anything, um, but uh, yeah.
1: It is so funny.
0: Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> funny. Apparently, this isn't the only time it happened. The article says that a similar incident took place in Iceland in 2012. According to the Times, an Asian tourist reported missing was found among a search party after she failed to recognize the description of herself. (laughs)
1: Like, imagine just having so much to drink that (laughs) you're just, like, so out of it that you, you just have no idea one, that you're missing, and two, that the people that you're with are looking for you that's that's hilarious <laughs> and
0: like just imagine too you come across like all these people are mobilizing a search party and you're like yeah yeah i'm gonna join in this and then they give the description of the person and and like, like how yep. do you get the name and you're combing the woods for hours before you realize it's you it's oh, incredible
1: it's, humans it's like, are time to, time to be your hero and find this lost person <laughs> Poor soul, <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So my so. my story, uh, it's not nearly as funny as that one, but the headline <laughs> is: I'm just going to read it. Court rules: Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos are legally people. <laughs> so this is the first time in, I guess, mod- in modern history at least that an animal is legally considered to be a person by a u.s court so the story is a pablo pablo escobar who was this colombian drug kingpin like a cartel worth billions upon billions of dollars he was so rich that he had hippos just like pet hippos and when he died in the 90s he they just released the hippos into the colombian jungle and i guess these hippos having no natural predators multiplied and now there's 80 there's like 80 hippos in Colombia that are just like wreaking havoc on the ecosystem down there because they're not a native species and so there's these conservationists that are try that were trying to like pass legislation that would allow uh people to hunt and kill these rogue hippos that are in the Colombian jungle but a supreme not a supreme court a US court official was able to like collaborate with the Colombian government to legally declare this population of hippos people who have rights to not be exterminated (laughs) so it's just like this bizarre uh like loophole in the law where they they can declare a non-human animal a human and give it human rights (laughs) just for the sake of conserving it.
0: (laughs) So that does not set a good precedent.
1: No, I don't think so either. But
0: it is it is interesting that we will consider an animal to have its four fertilized egg.
1: Oh, we're going there. Okay. Yeah. But, th- I mean I didn't I didn't think of that. Well, <laughs> okay.
0: we, we don't have to hang out there. I'm just saying it's that is that is no, interesting.
1: That's, that's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, but
0: um,
1: In my mind, I was just like, haha, uh-huh, cocaine hippos and oh, yeah, just that phrase. I, This actually has, uh, you know, ethical implications, I guess, that I didn't really even think of. So, yeah, that's a good point. Cocaine hippos. (laughs) Excellent name for A band, if you (laughs) would like.
0: A punk punk rock band, specifically.
1: Cocaine hippos. Cocaine
0: hippos. Uh, That's awesome. (laughs) Well, uh, Matt, you want to... uh... You want to lead us into discussion of our first, our first.
1: Yeah, should we should we list the movies that we're going to talk about off right off the bat, or should we just like you know element of surprise, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's real suspenseful. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's just do element of surprise.
1: All right. Well, this one shouldn't be a surprise if, if anyone knows you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we're talking about The Dark Knight, which is aside from being a phenomenal movie also has some amazing uh, kind of philosophical and, and ethical questions yeah. and conundrums that it deals with. Yep. And uh, I don't know, it, it, it kind of takes a couple of watches to understand just how awesome this movie is. Yep. Uh, you know, right off the bat, it's a great movie, but when you look even deeper into it and start to consider the kind of argument it's making, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, just for a superhero movie to to be this profound. So I don't, I'm sure you feel the same way as a as a Batman nerd.
0: Yeah, so that's the thing. Uh it's been a while since I watched it and we watched it again and I'm just like uh just I remember watching it and I saw it in theaters when I was a freshman in college.
1: Man, I was like a junior in high school. You no, know, <laughs> I was I was younger than that, but I remember I saw it on opening day, too.
0: Yeah. And I remember leaving with like, I was impacted emotionally and it was a bunch of tension. There was, it just, and so I just knew then it was a really good movie, but watching it again uh, recently, and I've seen, I'd seen it since seeing it in theaters, but like you said, watching it again, I realized like, this is just phenomenal from a, just a critical standpoint, like the acting, the storytelling, um, the music. I was amazed at how good of a movie it actually is but um yeah let's let's talk about some of the themes do you think we should give a, a brief little uh we don't want to give away too much of the movie but should we give a brief sort of uh synopsis? So are we,
1: i mean it came out a long time ago are we still going to respect spoiler spoiler alerts? no no
0: if you haven't seen it by now
1: i feel like you're missing out if you haven't seen it by now it's so good um Indeed. yeah you can Uh, You can go ahead and give a a quick kind of synopsis of what what goes on. Uh,
0: Well, it's uh, supposed to take place a year after Batman Begins. And uh, the mob has sort of just been running wild and doing whatever it wants. But there's a new district attorney in uh, connection with Lieutenant James Gordon and Batman, who kind of team up to try to bring um, justice Uh, to Gotham city and sort of end the widespread corruption um, that by, it doesn't totally go into detail, but there's implication. There's, there's corruption in the police, there's corruption with judges. There's, there's just corruption uh, that's infiltrated almost the entire um, uh, sort of ecosystem of Gotham city. And uh, so they team up to take down the mob. And in the midst of that, uh, the mob turns to the Joker to get rid of Batman because Batman uh, is the one who can kind of, he kind he's a vigilante. So he sort of circumnavigates the traditional uh, means of justice. Whereas Harvey Dent and Lieutenant Gordon are trying to play within the established rules. And so the mob turns to the Joker to get rid of Batman and the Joker just unleashes chaos. And part of, his intent throughout the movie is to sort of expose uh, people for who they really are um, by, by trying them uh, through chaos. Uh, And yeah, in in the end, he sort of succeeds uh, in that endeavor with the district attorney, Harvey Dent, uh, who becomes the villain Two-Face. He sort of breaks him down. Um, but he doesn't succeed in getting Batman uh, to break his one rule that he won't kill, and um, yeah, that's that's a
1: a brief synopsis. I think the thing that makes the Joker, especially in that movie, such like a famously terrifying villain. You know, it's I mean Heath Ledger's by far the best. You know, his best performance ever, and probably one of the best acting performances I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah um that's no secret a lot of people would agree i think what makes him such a terrifying villain is that like his his motivation is not driven by money or power or greed or jealousy like traditional you know comic book villains have this like i'm going to take over the world agenda but but his motivation in that movie is basically just to stir up chaos and anarchy just for chaos and anarchy's sake yep and that is, uh, it's it's fascinating to kind of, like, interact and think about a character like that, like a person like that, you know, if that person could possibly even exist, like someone with yeah. no human decency whatsoever. Um, and I think the the theme that the movie kind of plays with is inherent human decency and whether it actually exists. Yeah, And I think that the Joker's, like almost goal in his little social experiment is that there is no such thing as human decency. And, you know, given any kind of desperate situation or in, in any kind of uh, situation where it calls for it, people will revert to evil. Yeah. Just that because that's who we are on the inside and Batman kind of serves as a foil to that plan. Like he almost like stands up for people. Mm -hmm. And the goodness that is actually within them. And you get these kind of two opposite, you know, life philosophies playing out before your eyes. And it's really fascinating.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, It's almost like, and that was part of, at least according to something I read, uh, that was part of Nolan's reason for not giving the Joker a backstory is they didn't want to humanize him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he's sort of the personification or the embodiment of chaos in the movie. Uh, and and that is, I agree. That's what makes him so terrifying. Is there's nothing, um, there's nothing he's after. There's nothing that will appease him or make him happy. He's just unleashing. And, and he is. Um, there is this interesting connection between the chaos and the evil uh, that follows it. Um, but what one of the things I think is theologically interesting about the movie and most movies, in fact, is that storytellers. We sort of take for granted the idea, they don't use this word, they don't use the theological terms, but we sort of take for granted uh, original sin, or we take for granted that humans have a capacity to do great evil to one another. Right. So like the story wouldn't work if we didn't all agree uh, that evil is a reality and that people um, either contribute to that reality or actually... Uh, have something evil within them like the joker's character in the movie like he is thoroughly wicked evil demented um inhumane like he is the embodiment of evil in the movie and i just think it's interesting that we watch these movies and it doesn't like shock us it doesn't throw us back whether you're a believer or not we all agree that like that is plausible and it exists yeah um yeah, that's one of the things I I think is right off the bat kind of interesting about the movie is it assumes the existence of evil.
1: Yeah, and I think the question that the movie is trying to wrestle with is like the extent to which it does exist. Um, the kind of the limit where like humans are going to just automatically revert to this innate evil that's within them. Like, you know, the, the scene where uh, the Joker sets up, you know, a bomb on two boats. One of them's full of prisoners. One of them's full of innocent people, and he, he just he says like, one of these boats is going to blow up the other one, because you know in a desperate situation, human beings revert to acts of evil to preserve their own preserve their own lives. Uh, and I just think that's such a like a fascinating kind of obviously it wouldn't work out in the real world in an ethical way to do a social experiment like that. But you know in kind of the movie the movie's um, depiction of it, it's kind of this, this clash of two worldviews where, you know, the Joker firmly believes that humans are going to revert to evil in the face of desperation. Whereas uh, Batman is firmly on the other side where he believes that humans are inherently good and that they will act selflessly uh, in the face of trial. So um, yeah, I, I I love the the interplay between those two kind of worldviews and how the movie kind of answers the tries to answer the question like to what extent is humanity so depraved? Um where uh the kind of Batman's goal and purpose, I guess, in the movie is to expose like the inherent goodness of people. And I think that kind of lines up with the scriptural worldview. Like there is a tension, like humanity is not. Fully evil, we are capable of doing evil, but we also have this inherent goodness that is within us that that leads us to you know desire what is good and true and life giving, and to act selflessly and uh, humbly, and to preserve our fellow man. Like, uh, and I think that is like you mentioned before. That's what the image of God in us does.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like people, there are people who are not God fearers who are capable of genuine acts of love exactly yeah um that's the image of god in them but i think it's also i love the scene at the end with the the boats the one with civilians the one with prisoners and i love it it has almost this like scriptural um flip uh uh, where the citizens the well-to-do people the people who are successful the people who are um at least made the right choices to not end up on the other boat right um, mm-hmm. they're the ones, there's someone who actually on the boat says they've had their chance. Like, why should we, why should we be the ones that die? And they actually are, or it depicts that the people are actually, um, pretty, uh, pretty on board with blowing up the prisoners, um, with, with serving as judge and jury. But then on the boat with the prisoners, there's a prisoner that walks up to, uh, the, um, the police, you know, sergeant and whoever's sort of in charge of them. And he has the uh, detonator and the the prisoner, the inmate says, uh, give it to me and I'll do what you should have done. Um, and I'll tell them that I took it from you. And then he takes it and he throws it out the window. Right. Um, we should have set that up maybe a little bit better. Uh, the, the scene, if you haven't seen it, there are boats. They're taking people out of Gotham City across the harbor because the Joker is... Um, has uh, unleashed some terrorist threats uh, that, that if you're still left in the city um, after midnight, like it's his city and uh, he's already like blown up a hospital. So his threats aren't empty and things. And, but then the boats are rigged with bombs and each boat has their own detonator and they have to choose which one's blown up. And I'll, th- I think you explained that, but the part, if they don't choose by midnight, he will choose and they'll both get blown up. And so, there's this tension of, well, if not, both boats don't need to get blown up. So uh, there's this, almost this justification, which is an interesting thing to think about too um, is uh, what would justify such an act of violence, you know? Yeah.
1: It's almost like a parable. Yeah. That kind of situation where uh, there's kind of two, um, two outcomes and, you know like as the viewer like you know what the the right thing is and you're just kind of like it's kind of like leading you to ask why uh why you would choose like you kind of if you put yourself in that situation you're kind of led to ask you like if I were in that situation why would I choose the way I choose you know yeah it's, it's that, so interesting
0: yeah and what's what's interesting about the whole thing is the Joker actually, he says, um, in the interrogation scene, he said he's not. What does he say? I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. Yeah. Um, because he talks about how that these civilized people, they'll show you their true colors when the chips are down. Um, mm-hmm. they'll do whatever it takes to survive. Basically, they'll do evil too. Yeah. And um, he's just, and he talks about how their attempts to control things, um, and even the he talks about how morality is a social. He basically. Makes the argument that morality is a social construct. Yeah, um, which all of these things, it's kind of, it's kind of putting these two almost uh, opposite ideas that are prevalent in sort of the secularist worldview um, against each other. So the one is kind of 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 evolution and just pure naturalism, and then the other um, is sort of this idea that people are just basically good. Yeah. And what's interesting is. Um, like you said in that scene, we have this internal sense of what's what the right thing to do is, but it's not the most objective, or right. um, even true to a purely naturalistic or evolutionary sort of view. The most objective thing to do would be to blow the inmates up. Like let's you just know. say it. <laughs> like that's the yeah. most reasonable, objective, uh, even evolutionary. Thing that should be done, but there's something in us that knows that there's something unethical about it. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting that ethics and our sense of knowing ethics and, and even our sense of morality, it is a little bit deeper than just pure objective reason. There is yeah. something else at play, you know, other forms of knowing.
1: Yeah, there um, needs to be a kind of awareness of the special status of a human life, like the inherent worth yeah. of people. Yep. that's kind of baked into your morality, or yep. else you could just kind of go along with, you know, well, natural selection would would yep. say they like, blow up the prisoners, like, yeah, yep. uh,
0: exactly. Um, and and so the Joker is sort of a natural selection uh, advocate, yeah. Um, but then at the same time, he's also arguing essentially that people are are sinful, right? Um, but but irredeemable.
1: Right. Let's talk about some kind of gospel parallels, I guess, that we saw. Yeah, movie, you can go like, first, because I, I probably... It's kind of a... I don't know. I I, see, I've, I haven't seen a lot of superhero movies, but uh, I saw a Batman versus Superman, and there was kind of like the same idea. There was a lot of Jesus themes in, in superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of... I, I think filmmakers like to depict superheroes as Christ-like figures for, you know probably various reasons but um people seem to be attracted to that kind of a story whether they whether they know it or not yeah but i think i see this illustration in the movie of like an inherent goodness of people that uh is kind of ingrained in all human beings and the problem is our own corruption it's our own selfishness it's our own greed and evil and his stage is set you know gotham is in desperate need of a hero who is kind of outside of them, who is incorruptible, who is selfless, who is just, who can, you know, rescue them from their own depravity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great picture of our state as a human race, you know, before God, like we are capable of doing good. We have an inherent goodness ingrained in us, but we also are stuck in our own evil ways and we are in need of someone who is outside of ourselves, who is incorruptible, yeah. Um, and I just think that's a great, uh, a great illustration of Jesus. You know, in this this dark, gritty, you know, violent film, <laughs> yep. I think there's actually a really great gospel parallel that you, we can see in it. And even this idea of like Batman, you know, Bruce becoming public enemy number one for the yep. sake of the good of the city. Uh, I, I won't get into the whole like side story, but there's there's a part where he kind of takes the blame for something he didn't do uh in order for the city to be uh for the in order for the greater well-being of the city of Gotham. And I, I think that's another good Jesus parallel as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the one I was gonna
0: point out was was he takes uh he takes the fall for something he didn't do uh so that justice can be carried out yeah um and that is there's there's a ton of you know parallels to jesus um to jesus there there's this there's this line too uh just another thing that stuck out to me was there's this line where the joker is talking to um he he becomes commissioner at this point commissioner gordon and there were some people in his unit that uh were part of a plan he carried out because they were obviously threatened by the Joker too. He had something on them, but um, anyways, they were, they were corrupt cops. And he says this line, he says, uh, does it depress you to know how alone you really are? And so part of the Joker, so he's unleashing chaos and trying to, to push people to that point where they, but he also like um, he, he, he almost tries to make doing the right thing look just meaningless. Yeah. Uh, pointless, futile. And that I just, again, he's like this embodiment of evil. That's, that's what I think Satan uh, sometimes attacks us with is you're going to be alone. If like to, to do what's right, what's true. um, You're going to, you're going to suffer and be alone. Yeah. um, It's not worth it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go on to uh, let's go on to another one.
1: Um, Which one do you want to do next? We'll talk about peanut butter falcon. Yeah, Uh, I love this. I love this movie. It came out in twenty nineteen. you know, before the pandemic hit, and you know, it might have gone a little bit, you know, forgotten because of that. But it's a it's a great movie. Um, It's about this this man who has Down syndrome, um, and he lives in a nursing home, and he has this dream of becoming a pro wrestler. He he is watching these like cheesy eighties wrestling videos and he really wants to become a pro wrestler and so he breaks out of the nursing home and he's he, <laughs> hilarious it's a hysterical scene <laughs> and, um through the help of the, the guy that's living his one of his his roommates who's an old man it's so funny and then he befriends this fisherman who is you know down on his luck uh, a guy named um tyler who's played by Shia LaBeouf, who's also really good in this movie. Mm -hmm. Shia LaBeouf gets a bad rap uh, because he's kind of crazy, but he's a really good actor. Uh, But um, so these uh, he befriends Tyler, who's this fisherman played by Shia LaBeouf, and and together they try and get to um, what is it, Florida uh, in order for Zach to meet his pro-wrestling hero and become a wrestler. And it's it's a really funny, a really touching movie that has some really good, I think, um, a really good message for us and exposes a lot of the problems with our kind of American uh, healthcare system when it comes to people with disabilities. Yeah, and I think it it gives some some pretty good biblical lessons in kind of yeah. the value of human life as well. So yeah i'd yeah, recommend it. it's a it's funny it's kind of a buddy comedy movie it's really light-hearted uh it's really touching and yeah it
0: has some it has some uh crass and and inappropriate language um a, a decent amount of it but i think the value of the story for me anyways outweighs the offense of the <clears throat> of the right. worldly language um yeah there's so many different things actually i took some notes and um uh, yeah, it's it's. I forgot that I was going to make a point about something. I forgot what it was, but um, I really, I really recommend the movie. Um, yeah, I I lost my train of thought, so I'll ask you: What are some some of those specific uh, themes? Oh, oh yeah, like the value and dignity of human life, but also the importance of I think community and ge- like what genuine French can look like. Um, right. Even with people who are different from mm-hmm. you. Yeah, uh, I think there's some beautiful moments of what God intended reciprocal love and friendship look like. um, Yeah, in a non-romant, like in a non-romantic, like we typically frame love in our culture uh, in in a romance story. But there, there's this brotherly love that Scripture talks about. Yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to get at. There's there's a really good depiction of brotherly love. I feel like in this movie. Yeah, but
1: yeah, and. Um, I think like the dark night, it, it brings out themes of the image of God and people and the inherent worth that it, that, that image gives just right off the bat, like no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your, you know, disability might be, um, just the fact that you're a person makes you worthy of giving and receiving love makes you worthy of being, uh, connected with into on a human level it makes you worthy of friendship and devotion and uh it's a beautiful kind of just a beautiful message of you know um just the value that we all have and the value that we often fail to recognize because of how different we are sometimes you know yeah so like i think um and also, this the obligation that we have as a human race to stand up for people who are marginalized. So there the part of the original you know problem in the movie is that um uh Zach is in a nursing home because the state just has no idea what else to do with him, and it so they kind of think fam-
0: his family's like rejected him. Yeah, or-
1: you don't really get a whole lot of backstory there, but no. we know that his family kind of left him. And the state has no idea what to do with him and he can't take care of himself. So they just kind of put him in a nursing home, even though he's not an old person and he's very different from the people around him and he's lonely, doesn't have a lot of friends there, uh, but they just kind of put him there because they ha- they don't have any, they don't know what else to do with him. Um, and we, we talk a whole lot about, you know, in the old Testament where God is furious when Israel does things like that. It kind of marginalizes people uh, based on their uh, social status, based on uh, maybe their uh, income level or their place in society, uh, they just kind of shove them off to the side and don't pay attention to them, don't give them any kind of public support or financial support or, you know, yeah. legal support. Uh, and I, I, I find myself going back to those passages, uh, you know, in, in the prophets where God kind of calls Israel to task for doing something very similar kind of just taking these people who are different and kind of on the margins of society and, and, and shoving them aside and not giving them the time of day, you know?
0: Yeah. And when he's missing the, the, I don't know if she's employed or cause she mentioned something about volunteering. Um, but the character's name is Eleanor. Um, when she goes to the, I guess it'd be the um, director. Um, and she's like, we got to report this. And he's like, no, you, you go find him. And he's not going to report it. And I feel like there was a, I can't, I'm trying to remember, I feel like there's like a financial reason or some sort of like, um, you know, protecting the nursing home, protecting yeah. any like uh, potential consequences that they would experience. And so he he doesn't report it. Uh, it's, it's almost like it's not worth reporting, uh, but you'll go find him. And then when she finds him, it's uh, it's implied through a phone call, kind of, you, you know, the way they depict it. But like, she finds him, and and he's going to get sent to another. Um, and it, it just Zach is treated as almost less than, as as not having in personhood or or worth. There's also the scene. One of the things I, I took a note about that I loved is Zach and Tyler. So they're going. They go on this like journey. Um, Tyler is running from some trouble, and that's why he's leaving and, and kind of on the run. And then uh, Zach just sort of runs into him, kind of coincidentally tags along. And uh, Tyler tries to get rid of him at one point because Tyler doesn't want to give him the time of day. It's not really because Tyler, it's not because he has Down syndrome, it's because Tyler is kind of a loner. And mm-hmm. um, But anyways, uh, he, he ends up kind of saving uh, Zach from a predicament is stuck with him. Um, and there's just a couple of different times where he uh tyler sticks up for zach and basically tells people to stop treating him like he can't do things stop basically Mm -hmm. stop defining him by his like his personhood is not uh defined by what he can't yeah um, but rather what he can and um then there's the scene where they're talking and he's talking about he wants to be a wrestler and i've learned through a mutual friend of ours that like there's this narrative storytelling that happens in wrestling good guy and a villain Mm-hmm. Kind of in, in the ring and um so uh, Tyler's talking to him about like what his you know stage name is going to be and 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 at some point um Zach says uh, well I want to be a bad guy and Tyler's like what why do you want to be a bad guy you're not you're not a bad guy he says like I want to be a bad guy my family left me. uh coaches and teachers say I'm retarded and so in Zach's mind he's a bad guy because of sort of the the things that have been declared about his identity by other people. Yeah. But Tyler says no, it's about your heart. You've got a good guy heart. And I thought that was just um this beautiful scene about how we sometimes t- we allow things to define our identities that God doesn't say is true about us. God says yeah. it's about our heart. Um and so I thought that was a really kind of important scene.
1: Yeah. I think um you you mentioned that like the kind of the antagonist characters tend to strip zach of his personhood Mm -hmm. i think that was well said uh one of the most powerful lines i think in the movie is um tyler's arguing with his uh zach's caretaker eleanor um and he's like you you might you might i'm gonna use a a word here that's i apologize if it's offensive to people but it's it's part of the it's a quote from the movie he he says um you might not outright call him retarded but you sure make him feel retarded by the way you treat him um, just the ways that our, our approach to people, um, and the way that we we might not even call them or define them outright by these things, but the way that we we treat them, the way our attitude is toward them, our posture toward them, like we tend to define people uh, in ways that are very impactful for their own identity. Even like they notice these things, even if we don't mean it yeah. as well. Yeah. So like there's another element of uh, if, if, like even if you don't outright define someone in that way, in a way that is, you know, strips them of their dignity, strips them of their humanity, uh, the way that you treat them. Like, even if it's not through your words, through your actions, like you have the power to impact someone in in that way and make them feel a certain way about themselves and, and kind of cultivate these lies in them uh, that are potentially very negative. You know?
0: Yeah. I think, man, that's huge because I think part of, um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to love God and love people. And sometimes I think Christians like, well, yeah, I love them. Um, but it's sort of this like disembodied, uh, like I know in my head that to love people, but it's not connected in full action. It's not connected uh, whether we actions <laughs> that communicate love. And yeah. so there are times where we can say a without saying it, that their story doesn't matter. Right. Um, by dismissing their point of view, by dismissing their, their cries uh for help by dismissing um their vantage point their by th- there are things we can do and participate in to actually humanize them, and we mm-hmm. may not say it but our actions
1: right yeah i think um one of the the best ways the movie kind of addresses that is um tyler allows zach to have dreams he allows zach to have things that he's passionate about Um, he allows him to like have the dignity of making his own choices. Yeah. Um, Which especially with people with disabilities, like I think that's something that we tend to be afraid of. We shy away from doing that for them, even though like that's part of upholding and standing up for people's humanity is giving them the dignity of, of having things that make them happy and having dreams and the ability to just have power over their own decisions. And, you know, like as a viewer, you know, like, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that Zach wants to become a professional wrestler. And you know in your mind, like that's not probably not going to happen at the end of the movie. It's not realistic, but Tyler gives Zach the the dignity of having that dream and the he allows him to pursue it. And you know, like no matter how seemingly ridiculous it might be. Um and I just think that is a powerful illustration of um Of how to truly love someone you know
0: yeah yeah i think that's so good there's there's one scene where, um, like he uh, he speaks what's true about uh zach but but without denying his so there's one point where he says um you're 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 not going to be an olympic swimmer like you'll sink like a rock um but but you're strong you you there's a point where he picked he like picked tyler up like as a sack because you know yeah. And, and he talked about, and he affirmed that like he, he's strong. And so he, he encouraged him, like, you can be a wrestler, you can do it. Um, and uh, there's another scene kind of about this, like dignity and, and relationship and friendship uh, as they're walking along. Uh, Zach just yells like Tyler, I want you to know about me. I have down syndrome. <laughs> and it's just one of those things where Tyler's just sort of like, you know, it, it, it's kind of one of those things that's obvious, but what I thought was really profound is, that statement Tyler i want you to know about me mm-hmm. that's that's one of the the cries of human heart is we want to yeah. be known we yeah. want our stories to be known we want to know they matter yeah. and i think of course we need to be known by god and our stories matter to god but as jesus followers part of participating with god as salt and light part of participating with god and reconciling people to himself is allow the firm validate people's story we let them know they matter
1: yeah Yeah. i think that 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 scene it was like kind of like a a record scratch moment you know in the movie because up to that point zach was kind of just being dragged along and you know shoved along by people like being told what he needs to do not being allowed to make his own decisions and kind of just like being tossed along by the current and being bullied by people almost and he just kind of stops and said like just wait a second like i want to i want you to know something about who i am Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and i just think that's a a, you know we all have that cry i think at some point in life is like if you don't have someone who um sees you who for who you are who allows you to like actually uh reveal who you are and and wants to know you for who you are like that's uh, it's a terrible place to be in, <laughs> you know yeah So,
0: yeah. there's a couple other like things that could could stir some theological discussion at the beginning um Tyler made a stupid choice, and there's some uh th- I, I don't even know if he having trying to have like a pep talk with Tyler to encourage him to do the right thing and apparently uh Tyler's brother you you get the you sort of well, I won't tell you how his brother has died his older brother is someone he looked up to and um Neither, never are their parents shown either. So you almost get the impression that his brother is all he had until he died. But the guy who's trying to like give Tyler a pep talk says, Mark would be proud of you if you got your life in order. He's looking down from above. And there's, there's just all this like theological, like just terrible, (laughs) terrible theology. um, (laughs) Just that like, he's looking down from above. So uh, not a very theological or biblical view of heaven. Um, what resurrection hope actually is but also like I just like that that way of sort of using shame um, as a tool to inspire right action just made Mm. me cringe you know it's like get your life together because your dead brother would be proud of you if you did and so by implication he's not proud of you right now and so yeah um, and that's something in the church sometimes we've been guilty of doing is leveraging shame tool to inspire right action. It's just yeah. not, it's not good. It's not yeah. the way of Jesus.
1: Yeah. The way of Jesus is you have been created for something far greater than what you are doing right now. And yeah. true life and abundant life is found in leaning into that hope, that forgiveness, that, that new life resurrection power that Jesus has. Um it has nothing to do with shame. Like,
0: yeah, the the way Jesus said, "I love you where you are," but I also exactly while yeah. we were still sinners, He died for us. Like even even when we're not living into the abundant life that He wants for us, He still loves us in love, in His approval, His affection. Um, and then there's we won't get into this, but there's a character later named Jasper who is a God fearing. Christian, but
1: oh yeah. He, uh, he like mm-hmm.
0: baptizes him in <laughs> the nastiest water. It's almost like a, oh. what was that movie? Um oh brother where art thou? It's almost got yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Oh brother where art thou Mind,
1: that was funny. Yeah, that was a funny scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. um yeah, I think that the movie has um I think the the mo- the main takeaway that I had from that movie was the kind of our failure to see. Um, the failure to see the image of God in people causes us to define people in ways that kind of rob them of their humanity. So, and throughout the movie, you know, Zach is defined as retarded. Um, That's a way of viewing him that robs him of who he truly is. He's seen as, you know, incompetent, someone who needs to be like silenced or hidden Uh, he's not worthy of having dreams or desires or passions or making his own decisions he's not worthy of you know giving or receiving love because people just assume that he doesn't understand yeah and so like kind of society has pigeonholed him into this identity that he has kind of adopted for himself Um, and Tyler kind of serves almost as a you know a Jesus figure in and and, and coming alongside him and just kind of restoring his own sense of personhood, humanity, you know, like he does have a purpose. He does have worth. He does have value. He is worthy of receiving love. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was really beautiful. It kind of reminded me of, you know, the stories in the gospels where Jesus kind of did the same thing. Uh, you always, uh, we always talk a lot about the, the woman caught, uh, the woman caught in adultery and in, in John eight, that passage where Jesus kind of, comes in upon the uh, the people stoning this woman about to kill her and, and Jesus comes in and literally picks her up off the ground. It kind of gives me kind of that it kind of reminded me of that uh, that scene in scripture. It's really powerful.
0: Yeah. Well that's the peanut butter falcon.
1: Yeah. Ten out of ten. Would recommend good movie. Yeah.
0: It is a fantastic movie. Good acting. Yeah. Um, and the the actor who has down uh, really has down syndrome
1: and his name is actually his name is zach zach uh golds goldzagen Goldsagen.
0: yeah which that's kind of cool too like the movie actually uses there's there's sort of that representation yeah. in film of of that uh people
1: yeah he's a very good actor too
0: yeah he did a great job
1: yeah um all right so last one uh we watched this one's a bit of an oldie i guess
0: it is actually
1: the Adjustment Bureau.
0: The Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon and Emily Blunt.
1: So, do you um, want to give a synopsis of the movie?
0: Yeah, I'll try. I'll, um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully I won't butcher it. But so, uh, David Norris, who's played by this uh, up and coming politician who's running for um, Senate, uh, and um, he loses and meets. This just mysterious young woman, Delise, who's played by Emily Blunt, and she sort of inspires him to make this really raw, authentic concession. And so he lost that election, but it sets him up for the next election because his sort of authenticity was refreshing. People loved him. And so uh, it sets him up for the next election. And, but then. Uh, a couple years later, he by chance runs into Elise lease again. And there's just this magnetic connection that they have. Um, and uh, they fall in love, but then there's the things that keep trying to keep them apart. And it, it comes to light that there's actually this, uh, not just not just coincidental things come apart. There's this agency called the Adjustment Bureau that is actively trying to keep them separate. We'll, we'll probably get into it more, but there's a ton of parallels. It, it's one of the most overtly theological hollywood film Mm -hmm. that's not trying to be a christian film i guess (laughs) that i've ever seen so it comes out essentially the adjustment bureau uh they're like angels (laughs) um
1: you never really know if like are they divine is it like sci-fi like is this some kind of right do we have alien overlords like who are they we never really like we never get a sense of who exactly they are but well
0: and um yeah exactly they actually say uh it's
1: one of the names you know
0: uh that you use um Um, i I
1: think the movie is kind of
0: purposely ambiguous right they can kind of
1: be whoever you want them to be
0: so so that's kind of the story like david and elise um but then the other element is the the adjustment bureau is the entity trying to keep them apart and the adjustment bureau the way one guy says um uh, like a case officer who just lives a lot longer than humans but their role is to keep everything on plan and the plan is written by the chairman and the chairman is sort of this divine uh god figure uh, again they say uh you use the chairman he says uh you use many other names so yeah. he's, he's called by many other things but yeah. the chairman writes the plan and it's not in the plan for david and he together Um, But it comes out that the reason there's a magnetic connection is there was one version of the plan where they were supposed to be together, um, but the plan changed. And so they're not supposed to be together because it, you know, there's outcomes and sort of these ripple effects of things, but then they try to, to sort of subvert the plan and be together. And so it's kind of this romance story too, actually, but
1: yeah, um, it is a romance film, weirdly. And, yeah. like, I don't know, I wasn't, I'm not super drawn to romance stories, but I was super drawn to the kind of, like, philosophical, theological argument, almost, that the film was making. Um, because, so essentially. I, it, it comes out that, what's that? It, well, essentially, it wrestles with the question of free
0: will and, yeah. like, divine um, uh, determined destiny.
1: Yeah. It, it comes out that, you know, at one point, humanity had free will and um they kind of tore the world apart and almost like exterminated the human race and so this adjustment bureau had to step in to like literally keep us from destroying ourselves and so like this plan is meant to preserve us and um keep everything peaceful uh and to not to deviate from the plan is to kind of delve again into like this uh human free will and free agency that is going to result in the destruction of the human race again. So like the whole plan is for the preservation of humanity. Um, And I don't know, like on the surface that kind of seems almost, almost biblical, but again, not really like when you think about it, like, is that really, is that really truth? Uh, Yeah.
0: I I have the quote actually. actually. Um, that I, I can read because I think it's such a profound statement in the movie. The One of the case officers uh, slash angels, uh, Matt Damon's character gets a peek behind the curtain because he's just uh, one of the case officers really messed up his job and, and didn't stay on Matt Damon's character and wasn't adjusting things appropriately. Um, and so there's this other like higher up case worker slash angel And Matt Damon's character says, you know, my choice is all I have. And and the angel says, we actually tried free will before. After taking you from hunting and gathering to the height of the Roman empire, we stepped back to see how you do on your own. You gave us the dark ages for five centuries until finally we decided we should come back in. The chairman thought that maybe we just needed to do a better job with teaching you how to ride a bike before taking the training wheels off again. So we gave you raised hopes, enlightenment, scientific revolution. For 600 years, we taught you to control your impulses with reason. Then in 1910, we stepped back. Within 50 years, you had brought us World War One, World War II, the Depression, fascism, the Holocaust, and capped it off by bringing the entire planet to the brink of destruction. At that point, the decision was taken to step back in before you did something that even we couldn't fix. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting, again, is storytellers, movie, they, they there is this assumption that humans are not perfect, that there mm-hmm. is something in us, that, that all the that's one of the things I think is so profound about some of the way we tell stories that we take for granted that humans are actually part of, like we like to blame evil on God or, or whatever, but we actually know we bear responsibility. And yeah. You know? And, um, and I think that's interesting. But the other thing that's uh, really fascinating is within sort of the narrative of the film, there's these adjusters and there's a plan, um, but humans do have a degree of free will And there are things that happen, it says by chance, there are some things, but there's a lot of things that happen that we would say are chance, like you forget your keys or coffee spills on you and you have to go back and change your shirt. And so because coffee got spilled on you, one of the just, you know, one of the case officers bumped into you on purpose to adjust and keep the plan on track. And so you Mm -hmm. got coffee on your shirt. You had to go back and change because of that. You missed this train. You know, which meant there were all these ripple effects. So there's this interesting what I what I find so fascinating about the movie is the the interplay between the determinism of the plan with the free will and the consequences of real actual choices. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. But before we go there, let us I want to go back to you kind of talked about like is it is it biblical that we We need training wheels. Is is it this biblical idea that we just screw things up and need um, uh, adjusted? You know, yeah. Uh, Like we can't be trusted to write our own story, so it needs to be predetermined and all this stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some kind of theological circles that I think would agree with maybe that's you know making assumptions, but that sounds pretty um, Calvinist (laughs) to me. (laughs) But uh, it does. Which, um, it's interesting, like, I, I don't totally, hmm, it's, it's, it's a tough question, it's a tough question to wrestle with, because the, you know, the Adjustment Bureau, they're not evil, they're not, like, an evil entity in the movie, like, they're, they're bad, because they're trying to keep, uh, you know, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt from making out with each other, like, that's why they're bad (laughs) in the movie, but, like, they're a benevolent force that's trying to keep humanity on track, and so, um, you might connect that to like one of the many names that you might have for the adjustment bureau might be God. And you might connect that to, you know, God's plan for the world and how it's going to end up for the good and prosperity of humanity, which I I do think is biblical. Um, That God's plan following God's plan in his ordering of things is something that leads to life. And I think,
0: I think, so the interesting thing about that, and, and even the Calvinistic ideas, I think a part, part of why I don't agree with a, a strictism is um, as beings created in the image of God, being bestowed the authority like God and man to exercise dominion and having personhood. It means that what it means to be truly human is to be able to exercise our free will in a way that reflects the way God would exercise. Right. That we are to exercise dominion in a way that... Honors and reflects the image of God, yeah. and by taking away our free will, that actually um, reduces the image of God in us rather than in right. I. So, yeah. to redeem humanity is not to say, "Oh, uh, we gotta." Um, and and we know this, like with children or or like with adult children, it is not more empowering. It is not more uh, dignifying to take away someone's. Free it respects and sort of confers dignity on people grow to have. And so I think yeah. God's, God's goal in redemption is not to, you know, put the training.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's kind of where the DV, devi- like the movie deviates from kind of a biblical worldview is that, you know, humanity is capable of doing tremendous evil. Um, God doesn't want us to, but God's solution was not to grab the reins again and try and control everything we do, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah it's uh it's interesting too so when matt damon's character is arguing about this with angel like about what he feels for elite it says it doesn't matter the angel slash adjuster slash alien it, says <laughs> it doesn't matter how you feel what matters is what is in black and white
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i think that sometimes I disagree with that statement. And I think that's sometimes how Christians um, sometimes approach morality or righteousness is it doesn't like it, re- it it dehumanizes. It doesn't matter how you feel. It just matters what's in black and white. It just matters um, what the Bible says. And I want to be careful what the authority of the Bible matters, but God created us as embodied souls, created our emotions, Jesus experienced emotions. And things aren't just even in scripture, it's not. The only thing that matters is not what's just in black and white. Um, I would say complexity and mystery and nuance of humans and people and their uh, inherent worth matters more sometimes. And and I think we see that in Jesus. Like That's the argument I think the Pharisees would make. What matters is what's in black and white. And healing on the Sabbath, it is black and white clear that it's wrong. I thought that was interesting. I I think that's the argument sometimes the Pharisees made in the there's scenes in the gospel where jesus heals on the sabbath um does like he he tells people their sin and the pharisees are taking that hard rigid black and white line um but jesus sort of uplifts the dignity of other people what are some other
1: things you saw there's this is quote it's uh, one of the very last um lines in the movie um well there's one line it's it says free will is a gift you'll never know to use until you fight for it which i thought was interesting and um And the one of the very, the very last line of the movie is, uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing, the the chairman, uh, the chairman's real plan is that one day he won't write the plan, you will. Yeah. So kind of led me to think, like, if we were to read the chairman as God, like God's plan for the world is that we will write the plan for the world. Uh, No, I don't, I don't know if I would, I would buy that. So you're not sure.
0: Can we find any common ground in Christian theology with that statement? Yeah, I, I want to say no. What about this? I want to say there is this vision of us being co-laborers right. with God, like co-contributors to the life-giving, creative love of God as image bearers. Right. Um, Scripture uses language of co-heirs, but also like in new creation, uh, in in the age to come, in the new heavens and new earth, the goal is to be like partners, co-laborers, co-creators with God. And so, not this thing of where we're writing the plan, autonomous and independent of God,
1: but that we are um, sort of co, kind of like leaning into God's plan. Yeah. So, and yeah,
0: and image and and actually taking up the mantle of exercising dominion and bearing the image of God as we
1: were intended. Exactly, yeah. Because like you know, an original creation, you don't get an uh, you don't get an image of God just like creating humanity and just like letting them loose. Like He is with them, walking alongside yeah. yeah. them, and I think that you know, redeem humanity. We're going to have that back, like. Yeah. The presence of God walking alongside us. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the language I was looking for. You know, I don't, I don't think the intention is for humanity to write its own story. The intention, God's intention is for humanity to live in such a way that uh, God's plan is fulfilled through them. Yeah.
0: I think um, last thing I'll say, and then we can, wrap, wrap it up is, um, one of the things that the movie sort of, uh, one of the values it sort of asserts is that, um, Matt Damon and Elise like love one another. And so, um, they're going to sort of rebel against the plan at all costs, because like that is, that is most important. And on one hand, I think love, um, not just romantic love, but love, um, is, you know, scripture says God is love and that's really beautiful. But, um, there's also almost the sense that like they know better than the chairman, which in that story um, it, it feels like they do. And, mm-hmm. and then at the end, the chairman sort of rewards their pursuit of love by rewriting the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think if we believe God is good and just and righteous, then um, any idea or notion that we know better than God is, is dangerous and not coherent with the Christian theology, but then um, also I think um, so what's interesting is the love story. They've had a few encounters in the movie, uh, a few heated, romantic, uh, passionate encounters. And um, it's one thing to say, love is, is one of the highest values, like self-giving, sacrificial um, God, reflective love. But when we reduce love to sort of our emotional and physical impulses. um, I think it would be wrong to say uh, that, you know, should be pursued at all costs and, Mm -hmm. and God doesn't have any right to like uh, write a plan that would go against my emotional and sexual impulses. Um, And, and it almost sort of leans that way, I guess I
1: felt like. Yeah. Kind of like, you get this kind of plot where the characters are trying to basically outsmart fate to get what they want. Yeah. Even though the powers that be are convinced that that's not what's good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a pretty good, uh, pretty good illustration of, of human sin. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. That our, our autonomy, our determination to make, to choose for ourselves what is good, you know, the apple was pleasing to the eye and uh, good for food, you know, yeah. Um, that, that declaration of independence from God is dangerous. Yeah. If God is good, just, and right. But yeah. if God is this disconnected chairman um, in that story, it looks like the right thing to do, I guess, you know? Yeah.
1: But, but you know, the disconnected chairman is, uh, he's able to, you know, be changed and mm-hmm. persuaded otherwise by humans. And he's not, omnipotent and all knowing yeah there's still elements of chance that can kind of throw off the the order of things uh so i think um you know a biblical you know christian god uh and that kind of chairman this kind of mythical like higher being who orders the world's events and stuff like that i don't think we can really reconcile the two um you know, I don't. I don't think the movie tries to, you know. But I think we're talking about two different, you know, things here. I think the movie kind of has this, you know, the the Adjustment Bureau and the chairman kind of represent fate, I guess, more than kind of any kind of you know divine, yeah, uh, deity. So,
0: yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, that's enough of enough of that, probably. Right. Good stuff. Yeah, It's fun watching the movies. But we will take note that that is a much is. bigger endeavor than we, oh my goodness, <laughs> uh, than we anticipated. So
1: yeah, <laughs> if yeah. only I mean, if we got paid to do this, then yeah, it would be easy. If, if this was just like a full time job, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: we we need, <laughs> we need to figure out how to monetize the podcast.
1: Yeah, I know. Hey, I did look, and we have almost a thousand downloads, so it's pretty really? pretty good. That's cool. Yeah. I, don't I haven't looked at the the beam. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what, if that counts like Spotify or anything like that. If have more yeah, I that. don't know. Wow, that's cool. Well, um, after this episode, let's hit a g a thousand. All right. Well, cool. it's up to you, listeners. Yeah, like, share, um, word
0: of mouth, all of that stuff uh, can help increase our listener base. Do we want to give a preview? of what we'll talk about next month or uh, do we want to shy away from locking
1: ourselves in? (laughs) (laughs) We locked ourselves into this one and ended up (laughs) being a little bit burdensome. Um, No, I'll I'll look, let's see what we have on the docket. I'll just put the disclaimer out there that we are not beholden to anyone and we will change this if we, (laughs) if we need to.
0: (laughs) So listeners support us and but we don't owe you anything.
1: (laughs) absolutely uh december we're going to talk about oh this is one of our favorite topics i feel like we'll we'll lean into this one uh the kingdom the kingdom of god uh,
0: yeah yeah fantastic the kingdom of god which i think this will be really good because uh sometimes the bible uses the phrase kingdom of heaven and i think yeah. people just read that and they immediately assume uh heaven afterlife heaven mm-hmm. and that's not in my opinion we won't get it we won't start the podcast next month's podcast now but i'll just simply say my little teaser when scripture talks about the kingdom of god or kingdom of heaven it is not primarily talking about where you will go when you die see you next time there will be an episode about something the end all right bye